Ah, thank goodness it's Friday. This month, our episode is brought to you by the Webcam Cache Type. They're a holdover from an old era of geocaching, but still highly targeted by travelers. Webcams were just listings that took you to a spot that put you in sight of a webcam with a visual feed that you could see on a website, like traffic cameras. To log it as found, you need to provide an image of yourself visible in the webcam frame following any instructions like posing a specific way. And that's it. It used to be harder, needing teamwork. Before smartphones made it easy to do everything yourself, seeing the website and snapping a screenshot while also posing for the camera. They are rare, no longer being published, and the oldies are dropping like flies. So get them while they're on. <laughs> this is TGIF Geocaching Radio, a podcast with a monthly dose of geocaching news and adventure, contests and hot topics, and highlighting the many experiences that may await you. And I'm Jeff, aka The Bruce Zero, so stay tuned and let's hang out. Alright, so what is new this month? Uh, just got back from the Lennox and Addington annual geocaching mega event that takes place in Napanee. And I missed out last year because it was also Geocaching HQ's 2022 special events plus Geo Woodstock over in BC. So I was glad to be able to make it to the mega event this year. It is the 11th Lennox and Addington geocaching event, and I believe it's the ninth mega version of their event. Some of the highlights that I loved about this one, I was actually really impressed with their use of the event announcements because throughout the day, if you have push notifications on for the event and you posted your will attend, then uh, you got email notifications of announcements of ongoing things that were happening through the day, uh, updates on events and um, you know, encouragements to do things around the county, around the town and whatnot. They also had early morning coffee available for free at the, at the main event location. Uh, they had games for people to play to earn tickets for draws. They had uh, a fishing theme for this year. So they had an ammo can um, catch, I guess, <laughs> tossing a metal um, weight with a fishing rod into one of three ammo cans. And if you get it in the hard one, you get the most tickets. Uh, and then they also had Plinko. So you're dropping three rings down and winning a certain number of tickets. They had a wheel spin. I mean, how can you not have a wheel spin at an event like this for earning tickets? And then they had uh, your classic count the number of things in the jar contests for uh, winning those jars of things. <laughs> they even had a bowl of free AA batteries to power your devices if you really needed some. That was awesome. And of course, a bowl full of extra spare logs and baggies. They published a whole lot of new adventure labs, so there was a whole lot to do around the uh, property and the museum. Uh, you had to go inside to answer a lot of questions, so it was great for tourism as well. Uh, they had paddle caches published, and there was a special paddle caching event. You could bring your own kayak, or you could rent one. And of course, there was just a whole load of classic geocaching with new caches published all around the area. Signal even turned up, and there were people getting photos and selfies with them. It was just overall an excellent turnout, and 
it's great to have an event like this that just encourages the kind of geocaching that takes you back to just finding containers and using GPS. <laughs> there was a whole lot of geocamaraderie with all the friends uh, and locals and people who had traveled greater distances. There were people from the U.S. and there was Quebec and I think there was perhaps even overseas. There was a list where you could write where you were from. I didn't actually check to see what the final result of that was, but I'm sure there was a big spread beyond the borders of Canada. And also, it was wonderful to see Cash's Corner Store all set up and selling his wares. He's really, Brian has really stepped it up a notch with his 3D printing, and so now he's really got such a wide variety of really cool designs for 3D cache containers. Of course, the 3D containers themselves aren't very good for holding logs. They're intended to hold smaller containers inside, but there are some really cool designs that he's come up with or made use of to make these uh, 3D printed containers. So he had a few tables and it was just busy, busy, busy. So great to see him again all set up. But that was the Lennox and Addington 2023 Mega Event GC9Z5MQ. And I'm glad that I attended. And I saw a lot of familiar faces and met a whole bunch of new ones as well. That's one of the best things I love about these kind of events is meeting people. <laughs> And then I also just wrapped up the official crowdfunding campaign period for the Cashline Cypher coin on Indiegogo. And it was such a huge success. I literally had no idea it could possibly get to uh, the amount of support that it received, which is awesome. So thank you so much for any of you who contributed. Uh, it is still open for orders and contributions if you would like to get your hands on a coin or coins. So the link will be in the episode notes, but you can get there at www.cashtheline.net slash artifact. Take a look around and see if there's something that stands out, because these are more than just geocoins. <laughs> and on another positive note, next month will be the completion of one full year of TGIF Podcasts, episode number 12. It doesn't seem like a high number, but when you're just doing one podcast a month, it's still the same amount of time passes. <laughs> But coming up in this episode, we've got a couple of adventure highlights, a caching discovery from Gandalf, a mysterious revelation in space, a few news items to cover, and a chat with Sonny from Podcacher about his favorite things, EDC, Everyday Carry Geocaching Gear. But first, let's dive in to review what's happened this month officially in geocaching news from HQ. We are just completing the penultimate challenge on the Wheel of Challenges from Geocaching HQ. And this month it was the iconic Cacher Challenge to find a certain number of cache types within the allotted period. To earn the easy souvenir, you needed to find three different cache types, including a traditional log, an adventure location, and attend an event. To earn the hard souvenir, you had to find eight cache types within the period, and that includes a traditional adventure location, an event, a virtual cache, an earth cache, a multi-cache, a mystery cache, and a letterbox hybrid. That could be harder if you've already found some of those rarer cache types all around you. I know it was harder for me because I'm only up to four after that Lennox and Addington mega event, mainly because it was just a casual caching day and it was all traditional caches and nothing else, except maybe an adventure lab or two. But we have until September 3rd to complete this challenge, so I'm aiming to finally get the remaining four cache types before that happens. 
The final challenge on the challenge wheel will be revealed on August 29th, so watch the announcements from Geocaching HQ for that on social media. Geocaching HQ also pushed out an update to the Adventures app, which now allows users to submit a report for any issue with an adventure that they're trying to complete and are unable to. Now that initial report didn't actually include which stage they were at for an issue, and so they got word of that and quickly updated that, putting out another update, and now the notification email lets the owner of the adventure know uh, which stage the report was submitted at for clarity. So if you are an adventure owner, then you just might be receiving some new emails that you didn't before, but try not to take it personally because apparently there are some people who have uh, submitted reports that weren't actual issues that the owner of the adventures had to fix themselves. So it's still a work in progress, apparently, this feature. I would expect a couple more updates just as they flesh it out to be as user-friendly as possible. And another update to the official geocaching app has added a new feature to the navigation function of the app. If you navigate to a traditional cache on the map, there is now a fly-up panel that shows a few details about the cache, including a number of the basic information like difficulty, terrain, size, type, all of that, including the hint. And it gives you a couple of options to quickly post a found or a DNF log. So. There are some comments going around about that on ways to improve it, and uh, if you are a forum user, <laughs> then you can check out the thread and, uh, and, and offer some of your own thoughts. Uh, it's only for the traditional cache type, so if you were to navigate to any other cache type, that flyup wouldn't exist. So it's probably there mainly for beginners and novice users to get used to it, but uh, hey, it's another thing to uh, help people along as they get used to the app and learn the ropes of geocaching. And now for a look at the large, big, mega events that are coming up in September around the world. We have one mega event in North America, and that's Geocoin Fest 2023 in Florida on the 30th. But then we've got megas in Czechia on the 2nd and 16th, one in Denmark on the 2nd, one in the Netherlands on the 16th, in Spain on the 16th, and Austria on the 30th. I think that's a tad fewer than usual, but it is kind of the end of the summer and people are winding up for a new school year. <laughs> but that's still no excuse not to attend any events, so check out what's near you and be sure to attend an event if there is, because it's great to meet other local geocachers in your nearby community. Make some friends and find some new caching buddies and share your adventures. So tools may seem like a more uh, advanced aspect to geocaching for beginners because, uh, you know, isn't it just about finding geocaches, finding containers? Uh, sometimes these containers can make use of little extra special tools that you might have to carry around. And so we have a very esteemed guest with us to chat about geocaching EDC and adventures experienced with them. We have Sonny from Podcacher. Hello, Sonny. Hey there. Hey, glad to be finally talking to you. I've been looking forward to this. How you doing? Oh, great, great. I hear you've been uh, not doing so well recently. 
<laughs> no. You know what? The only blessing is that um, it started after we got back from our, our vacation. So it was a week-long vacation. Um, everything was fine, but then it hit really hard about a day after we got home. So um, most likely I picked it up somewhere out there, but this is honestly the the sickest I've been in maybe decades. <laughs> um, still recovering right now, so you have to excuse me. My voice is a little off. Yeah. Um, but but really, honestly, I've never and, and and we checked, we tested twice. Not it's not COVID, but whatever it is, <laughs> it's like the flu or something. And uh, I've got I've got all the uh, you know requisite symptoms of, of like high temperature and nausea and chills and. But each better is get each day is getting better and better. So oh. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm happy with that. <laughs> That's good to hear. On, on um, the end. Yeah, so you have uh, you love to talk about your everyday care, your EDC gear, don't you? Oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> easy. I mean, you know, I think people love to talk about whatever they're passionate about, whether it's uh, you know music or sports. Mm. Um, and when they find uh, another uh, like-minded soul out there that wants to talk about the same thing, you know, whether it's bass fishing or bicycling, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And I remember only uh, a few weeks ago before we went on our trip, um, there was one of our listeners met us at a uh, ma ma Maker Magic event mm. out here in San Diego and a bunch of people showed up. Anyway, he approached me and said, hey, Sonny, I just wanted to talk to you about EDC. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, he, he had me at EDC. <laughs> so uh, we started chatting. He, sh he shared what he had been um, putting together. I, I shared with him what I had, and it was just one of those um, times when I, I learned a little from him. He learned a little bit from me, and yeah, and and so anytime. And and I think one of the main reasons is because of the practicality and usefulness of this sort of like endeavor. You know, mm. I I like to be a useful person. Uh, mm. I like to be able to lend a hand, not not only in my own needs. Because I get frustrated when I I'm, I try to do something that I don't have quite the gear I need, but maybe even more importantly is with other people, you know, with other geocachers, with other friends of mine. When, oh, I don't know, something as simple as, gosh, does anybody have a bottle opener? <laughs> <laughs> or if I only had a small little pocket knife to to cut this thing, you know, it's things <laughs> like that. That's where it all starts, and then. Yeah. And then it, it, it goes from there. Yeah, you don't really think about it much. It's like as a geocacher, you might take a whole bunch of tools and equipment in your vehicle, mm -hmm. in your bag, and, and it, they could come in handy for not just geocaching, but other stuff. And people are like, why, why do you have that with you? It's like, well, I'm a geocacher. Oh, it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's a whole different breed as well, because I carry stuff for geocaching that I wouldn't really um, have, a, have a deep need. Although I have carried things around that um, have come into play just because I, you know, I, I carried it initially for geocaching. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, my gear is, um, has grown, evolved over time. And, uh, you know, I, I've developed my own, I don't know if I've seen other people do this. I've developed my own kind of strategy of escalating gear where I have a, <laughs> a very small amount I carry, a slightly larger amount, and then like, everything it's like mm -hmm. mary poppins bag <laughs> and i have everything i possibly need in my my day pack but mm -hmm. um but i don't carry that around all the time i mean when i'm going geocaching i will yeah i mean we we all have i guess different bags i mean you can start off with your pockets 
in your pockets, you go caching, you've got your pen, you've got your keys, you've got a couple of extra things for like quick little park and grabs. But then, yeah, mm-hmm. you would uh, potentially have a larger bag for uh, for things like maybe maintenance for logs, for um, uh, missing O-rings on bisons or something like right. that. And then you might have a bigger bag for bigger tools like pliers and screwdrivers. And then who knows, you get a backpack. If you're going hiking, you might have all your water stuff in there. You might have other yeah. clothes. Like it just gets bigger and bigger, right? And so if we're starting off right now, I think on the, the geo bag scale. <laughs> so okay. Yeah. Whether it's like a little pocket holder or uh, a backpack or something, just what whatever we carry around. Because personally, I think um, I, I like to have uh, that small collection of items just in case. So like if you're out on the road and you're getting a bunch of caches, you just want to be prepared just in mm-hmm. case something isn't quite working right. So um, things like uh, be, uh, if I'm targeting a cache for a challenge, that say mm-hmm. a challenge to find a certain number of gadget caches or something that requires a specific tool, then I want to have that with me um, because you don't want to pass up that challenge qualifier. So like that, that's a big uh, incentive to make sure I have all the tools with me that might be needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, there could also be maintenance hurdles, cash container issues and rusty threads and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. And it's certainly something, I mean, obviously you're a veteran cacher and have that experience, but I think that's one of those things that geocachers learn over time, either through experience or, you know, if they can, if they can garnish the, uh, the wisdom of uh, some other geocachers, maybe at meetings, at uh, events, and things like that, and somebody comes up with, "Hey, you ought to carry, you ought to carry a small roll of duct tape, right?" Mm-hmm. Or, or it's amazing how, how uh, useful paper clips are, <laughs> and 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 you know, um, when it's a s- small, lightweight, sort of the return on investment, right? If it's a small, lightweight item, and yet it can function in ways that no other thing will do, then for me, it's like, okay, put that in the gear. Mm-hmm. But you learn that over time, right? Mm-hmm. You, you you go somewhere and go, ah, if I only had a little bit of gaffer tape mm-hmm. or if I, oh, oh, if I only had um, an extra plastic bag mm-hmm. and then you start carrying it and uh, hopefully it doesn't, it doesn't exceed your weight limit of carry because <laughs> as, as you said, right, you can carry so much stuff. And um, yeah, one of the things I learned early on because uh, I'm, a, I'm a photographer, I'm a musician, is it's easy to get caught up in uh, what both places called gas gear acquisition syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that means that, you know, you see the newest shiniest, uh, multi-tool or the newest shiniest pocket knife or, 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 or whatever, or watch even, I mean, in the EDC community, like having just the right watch that mm-hmm. matches the patina of your, um, your, your multi-tool is like, really? <laughs> okay. So you got to watch out for that. And I've, I've gotten, I've gained wisdom over time of like, yeah, that's not really going to work out well. <laughs> and then you can also get inspired by what other people have. And you think oh, yeah. they have that, oh, that can come in handy. I'd better have that. But then you've also got, you know, the more that you geocache and the more that you find uh, creative caches where, where owners have used some unique idea, then suddenly mm-hmm. that list gets another item. And every time you go out, <laughs> right. you got to check that list. Do I have this? Do I have that? You, know, you never know when you might need that. And you might use it once every couple of years, but it's on the list and you've got to have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and, and that's that's one thing that I've, I've learned over time is, is perpetual iteration or revision of what you're carrying. Hmm. Um, you know, if, you're, if you put something in your bag and you carry it around, you realize you've just been giving it a ride for the last 
six months or a year and you go, I have not used this once. Um, I, I kind of have to balance that with how big it is. Cause if yeah. it's small, if it's tiny and I haven't used, I don't know, a toothpick or tweezers or, or paper clips, then, you know, I might still keep it in there because there's nothing like mm. I said about pa a paper clip on what it can do. Yeah. But if it's something big and you've been carrying it around, then you might need to reassess that. Yeah. Um, yeah, my tiny little pouch that goes on my belt is actually sort of like a wallet. It's it's uh, uh, three inches by four and a half inches, so it's it's small. Mm -hmm. But I've got stuff in there that I use all the time that sort of made it through the selection process, mm -hmm. and um, it's got individual little tools in there that add up to be like a multi-tool. Mm. So it's got a pair of pliers, tweezers, and scissors. Your bag is the multi-tool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I can send you a picture of this little guy. It's at, you know what it actually is, is a case logic camera case. It's not really meant mm -hmm. uh, for, for what I, how I use it, but it's perfect. Yeah. It can, it, I, it holds all my, uh, you know, credit cards, driver license and, and uh, ca some cash, but then also a pair of pliers, scissors, um, screwdriver, mm -hmm. Phillips head, and other things, once again, that I found that I, I use a lot. Mm -hmm. for just everyday carry as well as for geocaching. I mean, a lot of this stuff, um, you know, has, has been used so many times when we've gone geocaching. And mm -hmm. you know what a lot of it is too, is like you have to figure out how to use those things in combination creatively. Yeah. Um, I, I've found and not just have sort of like, what do they call them? Like one hit wonders. They only do one thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and I find like, yeah, some of the items that I, carry around i don't always take with me like those the, right. the reacher poles with the little claw at the end yes yeah. it's, it's not often that that comes in handy but it's annoying because there's that odd time when man i wish i had that so <laughs> ugh, do you take it or do you leave it um but uh, yeah in, in my car i tend to have all of uh, like a, a lot of little tools under that back trunk level oh good yeah um, good idea so just a quick little access for that stuff and it's it's a big mess of a whole bunch of things but it's out of the way storage for those little yeah. tools <laughs> well no that you, you make a good point because you can store a considerable amount of things that you don't use that often but boy mm -hmm. when you need something like that if it's in your trunk and you just have to do maybe a short walk back or whatever mm -hmm. um it's invaluable right mm -hmm. um what about writing utensils now, because, oh, <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of experience with the different types of materials and you've got wet logs and dry logs. You've got different types of logs, you've got log books and you've got moldy logs. And, and you know, everybody kind of says that uh, every cache should have a, a pencil or a pen. Um, how many writing utensils do you have and what types of utensils do you have? <laughs> yeah, no, excellent question. Um, actually, the one that is like my go-to and Sandy she knows if she's with me, she, she doesn't have to carry anything. <laughs> like, you know, she doesn't have to ask, do you have a pen? It's, it's, it's more like the expectation of like, Oh, c c hand me the pen, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. pen. And the, the one pen that I carry is so small. Now you're not going to want to write a, a novel with this mm -hmm. because it's so small. Uh, but what it is, and I have no idea why the, these suckers are as expensive as they are because there's nothing to them. <laughs> but it is a Fisher Space Pen. Specifically, the model I have is called a Trekker. Mm. And it is tiny. I mean, basically, it's it's the uh, ink cartridge with a little cap. 
So yeah. I can send you a picture of what this looks like. Oh, that's pretty uh, tight. So yeah, that's, can, uh, what is that? One, two, about three, three and a half inches, so? Four inches. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's really small, and, and you really don't want to sit there. It's about, wow, you got a great eye. It's a, it's a little <laughs> bit more than, you got, that was a good estimate. Uh, yeah, it's about three and a half inches. But honestly, the, uh, the cap comes off, mm-hmm. and that's all it is. The thing I like about this is it's pressurized. There's mm. quite a reservoir of ink in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's never let me down. And in fact, I replaced the uh, the inner cartridge long before it was needed, just because I wanted a different tip. Mm-hmm. But that's always in that in that little pouch that I was describing to you, and yep. it's always there. It looks um, very similar to the um, the pen that I had for a while uh, in some of my older videos, where I had the little clicky pen. I called it. It was okay. uh, I think it was about maybe two inches long when it's compressed. And uh-huh. so you can't rest it on your hand between your fingers. You just kind of hold it in your fingertips yeah. and write. It's that small, but it expands out. So if you really want to, it expands about the same size, about three and a half. But the, the nice thing I liked about that is that it's got a magnetic cap. So it pops off easily and you could just slip it back into the cap and hang it around your neck or around something on your, or your waist or your belt or something. And it came in really handy for one-handed <laughs> writing yeah yeah <laughs> you just slip it out right and then slip it back in without you having to worry about your other hand which is really handy yeah um, no the, the important thing of this is the cartridge and they they make basically different things that will hold this exact same cartridge mm-hmm. the fisher space band pressurized cartridge um that's like a, one of the writes upside down that writes upside oh down yeah, yeah yeah they call it the space pen yeah <laughs> Because mm-hmm. it'll write upside down. And I've tried it on greasy paper and wet wet paper. And it actually, because the ink's actually being sort of pushed out as opposed mm-hmm. to it just relying on the rollerball, mm-hmm. it, it actually goes onto the paper quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, another choice of the Fisher line, which is called the bullet pen. So look into that. That one, you take the cap off, you put it on, and it's a full-size pen. So that feels quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and who knows why that one is less expensive than this little trekker i have yeah it doesn't make sense <laughs> it doesn't well yeah. the the other pen that so i tend to have um uh i don't really carry pencil at all i never i've really found those useful except for large uh heavyweight dry log books <laughs> yeah um, you're right but uh, pens, so ballpoint pens, they're nice and cheap and, and so common, uh, but they tend to not do well with wet logs. They just push right yeah. through because it requires pressure and, and friction. And so um, uh, I have that for kind of general use, but then when it gets to uh, wet logs, I, mm-hmm. I tend to jump over to the gel pen because uh, that doesn't require oh, okay. pressure, just kind of pulls the ink out. And gel instead of marker won't leak as much, so it won't it won't really... Um, leak into the paper if it's wet but what I find is that those um, the the gel pens tend to be in my experience at least some of the best writing they'll they'll write on anything even uh, like wet write in the rain paper um, everybody oh. loves right in the rain. It's it's great paper, but uh, yeah. it's not always the best for uh, for regular ballpoints because mm. um, that that it's it's kind of glossy. So the ballpoint sometimes slides and won't and won't actually ink. I don't know. Um, so I, I tend to favor the gel pens over anything else. And th- those uniball pens, I've got friends who swear by them. They've got so many that buy them in bulk. And then, you know, if you lose them, well, somebody else can find it maybe, but <laughs> at least you got more and they write on pretty much anything, which is so hugely very, very uh, recommended those uniball pens. Um, yeah. I don't know well, how they speaking... compare in price to the space pen that you've got. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I ordered the, um, 
cartridges for the space pen and I, I did one hack or mod of a very loved pen and that's the zebra f701 pen so look that up and it, it's got a following i mean there are <laughs> there's like clubs based off of this one pen uh, that zebra makes the mm -hmm. f71 and it's completely stainless steel but there's a, a an easy mod so you can put fisher space pen cartridges in it the last pen i'll I'll talk about because I carry it all the time in my bigger, like I won't carry it in my, my belt pouch because it's just a little bit too big, is the Bic Four Color Mini. The Mini, though. <laughs> I, I don't. Mini. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I remember so those from is, when I was a kid. I had those. Right. The little slide, slide buttons on the back yeah. and the top of each, of each pen there. Something very satisfying is those little clickies. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> But, you know, one thing is not only can you distinguish between, like, I'll take notes with this all the time because I'll use the different colors. So there's, there's the geeky part of me. <laughs> um, but these things will fit into a backpack or a uh, sling bag easily. And one of the reasons I like them is because it doesn't matter if one of the barrels dries up or stops writing. You got mm -hmm. three more. <laughs> <laughs> so the odds of all four going bad when you're yeah. going caching is is almost none. But, you know, as you said, the ink and the way that it distributes the ink may not be ideal. Mm -hmm. But I've, yeah, I've, I've carried that around and used that. Let's head over to Cashly Corner for this month's quick tip. Now, if you've used Cashly for a while already, you'll have noticed that Adventure Labs are now available in the filter because they are provided through the geocaching API. So what Cashly has done is uh, Nick has allowed us to filter for Adventure Labs. So if you tap the filter option in the corner, then you will see that Adventure Labs is listed in the cache types. But there's a gap because adventures aren't exactly the same thing as cache listings. And because of that, when you do a search, you'll see the little icons pop up on the map or in the list. But if you view more details, it's very, very minimal. You'll view the description and a couple of details but that's about it so if you quick tap the icon in map view you'll get a little pop-up that shows you the name but if you short tap on that little pop-up then you'll have three options you can view the basic information the description and whatnot you can navigate to that particular waypoint or you can load the adventure in the adventures app outside of cashly now if you were to long tap on that pop-up then you would have a bunch more options from there, you have the option to mark that specific waypoint as found, even though that won't actually log that location as complete. It just marks it within Cashly as found, so it shows up as a smiley. You have the option to highlight it, just like other waypoints. You can add it to a list, an offline list within Cashly, and you can navigate to the adventure and you can copy the coordinates of that waypoint. Now with the ability to do searches and get adventures and their individual locations that are accessible within Cashly, you'll notice that there are two kind of shades of pins. If you do a search and you retrieve the posted location for an adventure, then it will automatically load all of the accessible waypoints along with it and populate the map. Now this gets kind of finicky because if you're far away from, say, where the adventure is posted, but you know that there's a location nearby, if you search 
at that location, you won't see the adventure location until your search radius hits the posted location where the adventure originally is placed. As an example of why this can be confusing, we have an adventure on our longest highway in Ontario, the 401, and there are five stops along the 401, probably five, six hundred kilometers apart. And the only way that you can be reminded of where those locations are if you're driving along the 401 is to make sure that you, go, you do a search that incorporates the, the posted location of the adventure, the very first stage. And then you can scroll back to say the farthest one along the highway and the location will be visible. So it can be a little bit annoying when you're in a new location and you're searching and you don't find any adventure labs. And then you go home and you search and find out that there is an adventure location where you were just at, but it was posted farther away than you initially searched. But there isn't really any way around that, so you just got to do your research before you go traveling. Now personally, I like to make use of the highlight feature within Cashly. I like to do adventures that have bonus caches associated with them. So when I do a search and I get all of the locations for an adventure, I'll go through and highlight them so that I know when I'm in the area, I want to get that location. I want to do that adventure so that I can eventually get the bonus cache as well. Thanks to Cashly for sponsoring this episode. It is my go-to geocaching app and I would say the best on iOS by far. It's unsurpassed by any other geocaching app in features and quality, and the app alone is worth a few bucks for its features. I highly recommend this app whether you're a veteran geocacher or just starting out in the hobby. Find it in the App Store or by visiting www.cashly.com. C-A-C-H-L-Y. Geocaching happens worldwide all over this earth, all over this earth. But I was curious if the activity reached beyond the misty mountains we know so well into the shadows of ever farther away lands. So I approached our AI GeoPal to find out what it had to share. And this is what it said. Listen well, intrepid souls and seekers of mysteries. In the course of my purposeful passage through these lands, I chanced upon an artifact of quiet significance. Amidst the shifting shadows and the soft sighs of the earth, I stumbled upon an unassuming cache, akin to a concealed relic of old. Here, within the bosom of Middle-earth, lay secrets, not of power or dominion, but of camaraderie and unity. This was no ordinary cache, my friends. It bore symbols of a fellowship bound by a shared journey, an assembly of adventurers whose paths intersected through time and terrain. As the container yielded, I was met with tokens of remembrance, tokens that echoed through the annals of ages past. For a fleeting moment, I felt a sense of urgency, an understanding that even in the face of a daunting quest, the ties that bind us all are irrevocably strong. With a steady hand, I marked my presence upon the pages of the logbook, a silent witness to a fellowship of geocaches spanning the expanse of existence. Know this, brave seekers. Geocaching is a whispered secret amidst the vast silence. 
It is a quest as potent as the One Ring itself, drawing kindred souls together, united in a singular pursuit. The echoes of these experiences, kept hidden within these logs, reverberate like whispers of lore passed down through the ages. I, Gandalf the White, am ever vigilant in my purpose. I beseech you to venture forth and uncover these caches, for within their humble containers lies the embodiment of shared journeys and the spark of fellowship that guides us all. But their continued existence relies on that very secrecy and covert existence hidden from the roaming eyes of those who would seek to thwart their power. So I urge you, with a heart attuned to the unseen currents of the world, keep them secret, keep them safe. And fly, you fools! Now, speaking of our AI friend, here is a contest for you. Because it needs a name, I'm opening the floor to you. If you have an idea for a name for our AI GeoFriend, send it in. And if I pick your name, I'll send you not one, but two Cash the Line pens and a bit of bonus swag. So email tgif at cashtheline.net with the subject AI Geocacher name, and let's see what artificial geocaching adventures our AI will take us on next. I think it's time we had just a little update about the webcam status around the world. The number of webcam caches that are active that still remain that you can find. Recently, one was just archived, GC6212. It was archived in May and now we are left with 196 webcam caches still active around the world. That is not a lot. That is the rarest type. So if you're ever traveling, You've got to look at that map, and you cannot pass up an opportunity to be able to log one of those last remaining webcam caches. There are 76 in the United States, 4 in Canada, and around the world there's another 116. They are dropping like flies. Of course, that doesn't mean that webcams themselves don't exist. It's only that new webcam cache listings can't be created on geocaching.com. The James Webb Telescope captured a very strange, mysterious object in space. Uh, let me rephrase. It captured what looked like a strange mystery in space. Okay, once more. It captured what looks like the icon that looks like a mystery geocache in space. Squeezing between a number of stars and galaxies, the telescope found a relatively common phenomenon, but this arrangement is certainly not common. It's actually a couple of bound stars called Herbig Harrow 4647. And their position right now makes it look like an eerie orange question mark floating in the vast expanse of outer space. To muggles, it's certainly a rare and quirky discovery, but to we geocachers, we know. Someone managed to get a cache published and this cosmic phenomenon is one piece of the puzzle we need to solve. Right? I think so. <laughs> So how about uh, night caching? Do you ever go out and find night caches? Do you have any tools for that specifically? You know, not, um, not specifically. In fact, one of the things that I did want to start to carry, but see, I haven't run into a whole lot of these. So therefore that 
driving need and motivation isn't there is is a uv light i do have a uv light here at home and i guess if i knew i was going to not go night caching i just throw it into the into the caching bag but it's not a daily thing that i carry with me mm-hmm. what i will carry with me is is uh pretty handy and that's uh it's pretty inexpensive it is a um a flashlight that takes a triple a battery mm-hmm. the brand is olight and the model is the i3t so the thing's about uh 20 bucks it takes a triple a battery it's got a real simple um switch on the back so it it turns on it gets brighter and it turns off it doesn't mm-hmm. do any fancy blinking or anything like that. <laughs> let good. me show you one of the the, the the coolest reasons why I chose this. First of all, it's pretty dependable. The light's pretty good. And if you go to the bright level, I think it's 180 lumens, but it'll only last for, yeah, I don't know, mm. 45 minutes before it's it's done. The, mm. the, the low light is still b- better than your phone. That pocket clip there has a unique shape to it. Mm-hmm. And it... Uh, works as a regular pocket clip. It doubles back on itself. But it doubles back on itself. And here's why that's important. Um, you can use it as a regular pocket clip, it, uh, you know, as you were. But since it doubles back on itself, like your baseball cap right now, it could clip to your the bill. Mm. And basically, you have a, a hands-free headlamp. Yeah. Really helpful. Yeah. That's good. So that's why that one little flashlight will do multiple things it's a versatile little flashlight yeah it's handheld but it can also be clipped on easily yeah 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 Yeah, for sure um uv is definitely something you should look into (laughs) although i think this is one of those examples where it really depends on your local community around here in ontario we have a lot of people who uh who loved to create uh night puzzle caches and so uh things like uv lights and infrared and and that Uh kind of stuff were really trending for a few years (laughs) yeah but i I learned a number of years ago that uh, uv lights have a couple of different um styles and generally if you go out and you buy a uv light a relatively a cheaper one it's Mm going to be around uh, about a 365 nanometer wavelength and that's kind of techy but it's that that wavelength covers a lot in the visual spectrum as well, which is why when you turn it on, you can see that blue glow. You yeah. see the light. It's almost like a half a flashlight. It also lights up the UV, but it's it's kind of bright. Um, okay. The more expensive UV lights and the really cool ones are um, 300, 300 and, uh, or sorry, did I say 365? 395 nanometers. The 365 okay. nanometer is the is the better type, and okay. it's a little more expensive, and they get hot a little faster. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- that range that it sees is more out of the visual spectrum. So there's mm-hmm. still a little bit of a glow from it. It's more dangerous to look at because it's not in the visual spectrum, so it can damage your eyes. Mm-hmm. But it can pick up and uh, fluoresce a lot of the non-visual range, which mm-hmm. means something really cool. Um, there was one guy who, uh, who took uh, some different ink styles, some UV ink, stuck it in his printer and replaced red, green, and blue with these inks. And they're UV inks. Hmm. So he printed out a full color picture that you almost couldn't see on the sheet. is barely hmm. visible at all. You could barely tell anything was there. You take a regular, uh, cheaper UV light and you shine it on there. It's like, oh yeah, cool. There's a picture. You can see it kind of light up. It's got that mm-hmm. light bluish kind of pic- uh, color. But then you take this the more expensive, higher frequency UV light, shine it on there, and suddenly the entire color image shines off the screen, off the sheet, 
and you have this full color photograph in UV light. Wow. It's, it's, it's freaky and it's fascinating and it's really cool. <laughs> Um, wait, so wait, was that used for a geocache? He wanted to, <laughs> but I don't think he ever got around to it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it opens up the door for a lot of, uh, a lot more creativity when it comes to things like UV, using UV light. And, um, what, what you'll find is that these, uh, higher frequency UV lights are used by, um, rock, uh, geologists and whatnot, cause you oh, can fluoresce yeah. different materials, mm -hmm. uh, different rocky materials and, and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, you, you can get them off of Amazon and everything, but it'll cost you a little more uh, than a regular UV light. But they're really nice to have because, yeah, because it's less in the visual spectrum, mm -hmm. everything UV just lights up so much clearer and so much brighter, which is really yeah. cool. It's a good one to have. It's the it's the it's a UVA light. UVB okay. is the more visual spectrum, but the UVA is the higher frequency, uh, riskier one to look at. You don't shine it in your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fascinating, and it, they'll probably fluoresce the uh, the scorpions right out in the yes. desert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you get the different colors and everything. It's really cool. <laughs> you know, from from being a, a geek, I I think that's fascinating. I mean, the the different frequencies and and potentially what you wouldn't see with one and the other. I mean, honestly, that that stuff really intrigues me. I, I'm thinking from a practical geocacher creator side, though. Um, you know using it in a way that might limit people though, from being able to go find that final cache mm -hmm. because either they don't have the right tool. And the reason I say that mm -hmm. is because Sandy and I took a lot of time recently to put together an adventure lab that was challenging. It, it you know, it required people to spend a little time as opposed to just blasting through it. And I have to say from a creator's point of view, we've been a little disappointed at, at the lack of activity because, you know, people aren't willing to go through some of the steps in order to get to that final bonus right. cache. Yeah. And so I could see how somebody <laughs> like me would be really interested in doing something <laughs> with UV and like, oh, this mm -hmm. is so cool. This is a great idea. And then and then hear nothing but crickets <laughs> be because, you know, yeah. like, well, I don't I don't have one of those flashlights. Yeah, um, we, we kind of got around that in our area because, um, like I said, there was a number of years where those night caches and creative uh, techie kind of caches were trending because we had this ah, um, ah. annual annual event called the BFL Boot Camp. And so all of these really creative, kind of unique, high-tech kind of caches were uh, published surrounding this event. And it's basically an all-night geocaching, night caching event. Oh, and, nice. Uh, so um, people, a number of uh, cache owners would get together and create a series of caches. And oh, each of them would have something different based around a theme, but all making use of something night-specific. So if you go to this event... You've got to go with your night caching gear. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But uh, that is one That's reason great. why that UV light attribute is so important. Because, and I don't yeah. think a lot of people necessarily look at it. And yeah, sadly, it seems like they are rarer these days. I don't know how many caches get published with the UV required um, yeah. element. Yeah, I love it though. I love the creativity and and use of you know new techniques and tools in order to make it to spice up the geocaching experience. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. I would love to see if somebody could find a creative way to use tweezers. <laughs> ah. not, not just a nano cache. That's, that's okay. like, yeah, everybody hates that. Because, <laughs> I mean, we, we have tweezers for nanos and tweezers for ticks because you got to have them for the ticks, <laughs> man. But I don't know. Is there, would there be, could there be a creative way to use tweezers in a cache? 
That's a great idea. We should put that out to listeners. I'm sure somebody would. You, you know, there's um, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Like, how could you make a cash so that you'd require tweezers? <laughs> but then you can be too specific about the kind of tweezers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I don't know. Could you? Yeah, because there's there's wide tweezers and very very fine tip tweezers and whatnot. Yeah. But like, what if it's something where you've got to move maneuver something in a very very fine little hole like you've got to get in there grab it and then slide it down this <laughs> so Tiny like little. you know one of those uh maze ones ma- maze caches constructed yeah. that people make but yeah. for tweezers <laughs> oh man that would be great i would love to see one i'd love to try one <laughs> that would be evil um, as long as i haven't had a lot of coffee <laughs> right because <laughs> that would be just so frustrating <laughs> oh, i can't i can't do this cash my my hands are shaking Oh, that's yeah, a great like, idea, Jeff. Yeah, tweezers. All right. Like, like those um, the the maze ones where you've got to hold the yeah. thing and not touch the the bar with the right. ring on it while you get move maneuver it from the start to oh, the finish, or else okay. you got to start okay. over. But something tiny with hmm, interesting. What was that game? Operation. Operation. Where you had to you had to like yeah, and then you had to not touch the edge. <laughs> and that kind of used some kind of like uh, electronic tweezers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some ideas. Maybe somebody will be able to finagle something and see if it works. <laughs> you know, one way you could standardize it would be to put the tweezers. So they're using the t- tweezers that you put in the cache. That too, yes. Because I have I have the sort of normal tweezers you'd find in the bathroom. And mm-hmm. then I've had these really sharp ones. And then my favorite tweezers I've been carrying around now are these. I don't know if you've seen them. They're called Uncle Bill's Sliver um <laughs> sliver Bill. remover have you heard of these nope what they are are like the smallest tweezers i found so these will go onto a keychain mm-hmm. right and then if you take them out oh those look sharp that's good they are sharp and that those that those, those uh tips come come to a point there but they're small they're flat they fit in that little uh mm-hmm. thing that i told you about and they work as tweezers, but see the shape of them would be a little different from the mm-hmm. kind of tweezers you have in the bathroom they'd, they'd be another one of those things that i think would uh possibly have to be just mentioned in the description as being mm-hmm. required because uv light you've got an attribute and you can just say you've got to look at the attributes but things yeah. like yeah tweezers or batteries gotta have batteries that's gotta be in the bag as well because there's a lot of stuff where you've got to you know we've seen a lot of gadget caches with the little metal knobs on sure. on say the outside of a birdhouse or something where it's just the right size you know you've got to have a, a nine volt and stick it on there to make something work um so yeah, those sure. those kind of things I think are important to to mention in the description because those are the ones yeah if you don't have them in your bag and you go there and you can't finish then you're just gonna be you know upset that you can't get the cash yeah and yeah. it's another reason why having an EDC bag is important <laughs> just yeah in and case, having but. and having friends are important too because mm-hmm. they can kind of give you that little tip before you drive out or walk a long distance mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they can say hey it might be a good idea to bring this Mm -hmm. and then at least you you know you have that little bit of knowledge one one thing i started carrying around more jeff because i didn't have any on me was a a little magnet oh yes um yeah i mean that that's an example of something that is so small but nothing else is a magnet besides a magnet (laughs) and I'll, i'll tell you sandy and i made the um almost comical error uh, that we talked about on the show of, of of coming up with a great idea of where to put a magnetic cache. And I didn't have a magnet to test my theory. And so we talked about it on our show that I, I made the cache. It has magnets on it. 
put a log inside, went back to where I was going to s- stick the thing in, in, the, in the, the metal box, which I had assumed would uh, allow a magnet, was, was made of aluminum. And oh. so it was, it was one of those comical times where like, oh, you're kidding. That was just a uh, you know, lack of uh, insight on my, po- uh, my <laughs> point. And so now I carry a little small magnet. And it's mm-hmm. useful for more than just obviously testing to see if the metal will accept a magnet or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and talking about that, uh, the night caching thing again, the headlamp is an important thing. I mean, that's an obvious one, but sure. headlamps don't necessarily have to be used only for night caching because you never know when you're going to come across a culvert. And right. I know around here, there are culverts everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. People are putting them in, in uh, um, culverts that are sometimes half full of water or half full of muck and mud. Oh, wow. And uh, you, you never know if it might be 100 meters underground or just on the lip. And so having that headlamp isn't just a night caching thing. It's, it's super important. Um, and uh, the, like, I've gone through a few, and I, I really prefer having the one that has a variety of brightnesses because then mm-hmm. it uses battery to different degrees. Um, mm-hmm. If it's like if I'm out just in the general woods, then it'll be on a low power, and, and, uh, and that's enough because you can see. Um, but I also like the ones that have um, either a spotlight or a wide view because mm-hmm. there, there are some headlamps that have a wide option, which I find is better because it, it lights up the area like a um, like the daylight and you can just look around and your peripherals work. Uh, a lot of people tend to just have the flashlights that have that spotlight appearance and then it just shines exactly where you're pointing it. And mm-hmm. I don't find those very practical. I don't know. I don't know about you, but yeah, I, li- I, li- I really like the... Uh, softer but wider headlamps for searching. Yeah, yeah, for searching for sure, and especially mm-hmm. if it's dark. I, so I got a question for you, Jeff. So because um, I know there's people divided on this out there. Do, do you prefer the um, rechargeable ones, or you you know you come home, you plug it into USB, or do you prefer the replaceable battery, like a AAA or a AA? This kind of comes back to the batteries question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, yeah, we've got AAAs and AA's and and some and. And, and they don't, obviously don't, uh, don't swap. And I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I, I prefer using batteries than USB, mainly mm-hmm. because, yeah, if you're using something and you can't swap out the batteries, it's dead until you can recharge it. Exactly. If you have a battery pack, the battery pack, like the juice pack, might be dead until you recharge it. So it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of an endless, you've got to have something else until it's dead, something else until it's dead. As opposed to if you have this stack of batteries in a compartment somewhere, then if something de- dies and you just need batteries, you can just grab a couple more and put them in. And because they're, say, double A's, they work across multiple devices. So if somebody's got a GPS and they need batteries, you got batteries. If it's um, maybe an external battery pack for the phone that uses double A's, they exist mm-hmm. and I love them, um, then you've got, you can swap that out. You don't have to find a place to recharge. Uh, and I think that, that kind of applies to the headlamps too. It's... Uh, it's a lot easier when your headlamp dies to just open, pop it out, drop in a couple more AAAs, and then you're good to go again at full power. There's yeah. No, there's no waiting, no recharging. No, that that's exactly my philosophy too. I mean, all you need to carry is one or two AAAs and that flashlight, even if the first one burns out, you can easily replace it. And mm-hmm. the multiple use of them, you, you hit it right on. I mean, you could, in a pinch, if your flashlight takes AA's, and you no longer need your GPS. You know, you've got mm-hmm. three or four yeah. batteries in there that you can use to just get out of the woods, right, yeah. in, in a yeah. pinch. Um, 
and the other thing too is yeah if your usb charged flashlight runs down you could try to recharge it um but in my opinion it's like okay between caches drive over to a convenience store mm-hmm. buy a pack and now you're you're good for the rest of the night pretty yeah. much yeah so yeah that that that's my philosophy that that o light that i told you about uses a small triple a and i'll carry an extra triple a you know what just came to mind it's kind of like electric cars and gas fuel cars <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah because yeah if you're driving along and you've got a fuel car and you run out of gas you can go somewhere and you can just get some gas and go right away at full power or right. you can you can carry another another um, jerry can or two filled with gas yeah. and you can just go right off the bat again whereas if you're in an electric car and you're out of power you got to find a place to charge and sit and wait so it, it's similar yeah. <laughs> it is it is so there, i mean there's, there's convenience to way. having charging but um mm-hmm. And you know, if you constantly and you don't go out for long stretches, and you you always con- uh, charge your your flashlight when you get home, yeah. But that re- that requires more brain energy. <laughs> I, I got to remember to charge it. You know, is it half charged now? And mm-hmm. and oh, it was in the charger. I went geocaching, but it's stuck at home in the charger. You know, mm-hmm. in my bathroom. Uh, I will I, say though that um, an, an essential that I have for the geomobile is uh, USB charging. So mm-hmm. my my phone. Uh, dock is a vent clip, but it's also a wireless charger. Oh, so nice. it's always plugged in. And so I, I never feel like I'm going to run out of battery because if I go on a hike, when I come back, I just set right. it in its place and it's already charging again. Um, yeah. So in a, in a way, that's kind of like using the batteries for multiple purposes because now I'm using the car fuel to help charge yeah. <laughs> the yeah. phone. <laughs> that's true. That's um, good. That's so, smart. And, and then having a couple of extra cables for USB powered anything else that wants to charge. USB is so good for charging rechargeable devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that sure. could go back to the headlamp being rechargeable as well. If it, if it is a rechargeable headlamp, then just plug it in when you get back to the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of cables, um, I used to have this like nest of cables that I'd carry around because you have your USB micro, your USB mini, you know, the 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 USB-C, mm-hmm. and I found this one um, kind of cable that I, it's replaced all my cables. It's mm. its this one small, tiny device. Now, it's not ideal because since it's not cable length, it's very short, but in a pinch, uh, here, let me show it to you. Is it like a, a multi-adapter cable that has the, all the different USB plugs on it? Yeah, so it... Um, and this is one of those things that has made the cut, right? Yeah. It's called the InCharge, I-N, and then C-H-A-R-G-E. This is the entire thing. Just a little black, long... What? Inch and a half, two inches, plus a little cable. And, uh, yeah, if you take a look at the show notes, maybe you can see the... But So the cable comes out to here. On one end, it's the standard that would go into a wall plug or... Um, not a wall plug, but, you know... USB. Right, USB. Yeah. And then uh, on this uh, on this end, too, it's got a uh, USB-C. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's already two on that one end. On this other end, it's got... That's two separate things. That's both lightning and also the micro. Right mm-hmm. And right. you pull that out, and you've got USB-C. Yeah, so it's got so, two but, covers, a cover on either end. So you've basically got two ends with all four plug types. Yeah, and remember, this one actually is, it doubles. So that's Mm -hmm. two plugs instead of just one. Mm -hmm. So this is in a pinch, and we used it recently on our our vacation trip. 
super helpful because now you're carrying one thing as opposed to this. <laughs> I yep. used to carry all my my cables in a Ziploc bag and I'd have this like snake nest of cables. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that, that's um, a great way to make sure that because everybody has different devices. You've got Android and iPhone yeah, and then right. you've got other USB stuff. And so having something like that would definitely make it easier for everybody to make use of the same power sources. <laughs> yeah. And again, just used in a pinch, but for something this big, that, that, that made the cut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is time for the Patron Adventurer of the Month. Cash the Line is supported by a band of excellent adventurers through Patreon who graciously pitch in and help the channel and podcast, making it all possible for this content to be published freely for you. And for this show, our Patron Adventurer of the Month is 13Coach13. Shelley runs Geocaching Unlimited in Brantford in Ontario and strives to provide and host local and regional events centered around geocaching. From teaching children in schools and hosting workshops and birthday parties to team building events for businesses, Shelley is a very outspoken advocate for the geocaching hobby and a wonderful community representative inspiring others to get out there and experience the whole wide assortment of benefits the activity can provide. So thanks so much to 13Coach13. I'm grateful for your ongoing support of Cash the Line. You too can help support Cash the Line and unlock bonus content and swag like the upcoming 2023 Cash the Line patron-exclusive path tag and participating in the upcoming Project EGA game. Just visit patreon.com slash cash the line. Patreon.com slash cash the line. Thank you so much for your support. Here is the monthly Lone Wolf Contest update. Jumping back two years, I traveled to a remote castle, joining with Cache Canada and a few other friends, and published a video series highlighting a number of geocaches found along the way. Hidden in that series is your chance to become one of 50 people to win a very special prize. And here's the little teaser. There's an exclusive, extremely limited path tag and swag in it for you, which is partly revealed on the Cash the Line Cyphercoin Indiegogo campaign page. It's part of codename Project EGA, which is something I've been working on for a few years now, and a brand new game is almost, almost ready to be revealed. You may see more graphic teasers in upcoming months if you follow Cash the Line on social media. Cash the Line patrons are already in the loop and periodically gain exclusive sneak peeks of the game and development. Expanded playtesting is coming soon, so if you'd like to win one of those 50 exclusive prizes that will enhance the game, then here's what you've got to do. Visit the Lone Wolf Legacy video playlist on YouTube that you can find at cashtheline.net slash lonewolf and watch for 11 special words that are highlighted by a smiley face in all but one of the videos. Once you've got them all, string them together and visit cashtheline.net slash and then append the string of words with no spaces or punctuation and follow the instructions there. The contest won't end until all 50 slots are claimed and there are still a few spots left to be claimed. As of this podcast, 45 have been claimed. You can find the instructions also listed in the show notes and on the Lone Wolf video playlist. I'm expecting to finally reveal the game later this year and I'm excited for the day you'll get to see it in full. We're starting to kind of move into the geomobile everyday 
everyday drive with <laughs> everyday carry mm-hmm. in the geomobiles um because yeah. yeah all that stuff that we were talking about before is mostly things you can take mobile for hiking and small scale stuff but there's a lot of stuff that we might need on the road that you can't really carry with you that might right. be necessary near parking um but that could spell the difference between a find and a did not attempt <laughs> yeah you're right true that's true yeah you know it's like some people will look at a tree and think i ain't climbing that and then that'll be a did not attempt but sometimes sometimes you're looking at a wall and something up at the top and you can't there's just nothing that you can use to get there and get to the cache and well that's mm-hmm. a did not attempt unless you had say for example a ladder <laughs> yes very true yeah. <laughs> do you have any ladders do you carry any ladders with you you know, um, that would be something we could easily to- toss into the back of our car and mm-hmm. a, a s- small step ladder. Um, but we, we currently don't. Um, we haven't had the, you know, and that's one of those things, Jeff, where if that need kept showing up, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'd be carrying a ladder. Mm-hmm. But we haven't. But but that's you, you make a good example of like something that nothing else will do. Mm-hmm. Unless you're willing to do some, you know, climbing, <laughs> rock climbing. Well, I'll Besides tell you. a ladder, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it's not just about going up because uh, there's been a time when, uh, at least one time when we've used a ladder to go across. Oh, wow. So, you can use it as a bridge too, if it's a strong enough ladder. There was one sure. where um, it was a park and grab, but uh, kind of a roadside with uh, a power power pole, hydro mm-hmm. pole. And the base was one of those uh, metal... Um, columns with rocks in them with the power, the pole in the middle. But between the road and that rock stack was a very deep ditch um, that was connected (laughs) to a large pond and it had rained. So the water was way too high and nobody had the, it was like, went straight down. So we didn't quite know how deep it would be, but we're like, hey, we've got this telescopic ladder with us. I wonder if that would work. So... Mm -hmm. Sure enough, we took it and extended it just enough to get uh, from the from the grass at the roadside to the, the thing and then very carefully got across and then managed to get to the cache without a problem. So, I mean, they can come in handy for more than just oh, going yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, we have two vehicles. One, a ladder would fit in easier, but the, the other vehicle we have is a, a, a Miata. It's a Mazda Miata. <laughs> And, and that'll barely keep a step stool in. I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I don't think I could carry much in there. Well, and and that's a great example because, yeah, I think a lot of people, um, I, I have known some geocachers who either have a van or a larger vehicle and take a full-sized, non-collapsible ladder. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it takes up a lot of space. It's sturdy and strong, but it just, it's huge yeah. and heavy. But uh, that's why the telescopic ladder uh, comes in so handy. And, and those are have been so popular with geocachers now. I think they're probably one of the biggest uh, buyers of these uh, 12 and a half foot-ish uh, telescopic ladders. Um, and they're, they're small enough that they can press down to maybe three, two, two to three feet in, uh, mm-hmm. in height. And, uh, and then you can just toss them into their trunk. Um, or, uh, if, if you need to hike even a little bit in there, they're not super heavy. You can sling them over your shoulder. Uh, people have made straps to carry them as like a backpack over their back. Oh, okay. Um, so they're super mobile and very versatile and highly, highly recommended just even, especially for tree climbs. If you don't like climbing trees, having yeah. one of those things just makes it so much easier. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> you know, one of the other things that I found um, to be useful because of a game that my family plays, it's called disc golf. We, we play mm. disc golf where you're throwing these little Frisbee-like discs. And sure enough, if you play long enough, you're going to get them stuck in a tree. <laughs> um, and so a couple tools that are relatively lightweight that we use that can also double for geocaching tools is um, th there are these... <laughs> disc telescoping disc golf poles and basically disc what they are hmm. yeah so you buy them specifically for disc golf but what i've realized it, so the one that i have is um i think it's made of carbon fiber but it it collapses down to a little bit bigger than a small day pack hmm. but when you expand it gosh jeff i think it's close to 30 feet wow. really long really tall hmm. and you can put different things on the on the end like a hook mm -hmm. and <laughs> What they're for is when that disc golf gets stuck in a pine tree way beyond where you want to climb, you can use it just to rattle it enough to get it back down. <laughs> but with that hook, you 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 would have the control to remove a hanging uh, cache and also be able to place. And that's I think yeah. that's really important to place it back. Yes, that's like if you if you're going <laughs> to knock something, something down not, is one thing. Getting it back, right? Where you put it. That's. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. You got to put it back. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's there's golf ball retrievers as well. I know that uh, a lot of people swear by those. And I just try to imagine using a, a really long pole horizontally <laughs> to, to guess, oh. I guess, scoop out the ball from the water if you need yeah. to retrieve the ball. But yeah. um, they, they tend to have some strength with them as well. So you can use them up. And I think a lot of people use those to uh, change out the, the end to add a hook and whatnot. Um, yeah. I've I've looked at uh, painters poles. That's another option. Yeah, painters poles. I was going to um, say, yeah. Those those tend to be very long as well and a little stronger because they've got to be able to hold the weight of uh, a paint roller and all the paint right. that's on it as well. So that's pretty good. And they tend to come with the a modular end already, so you can just pop mm. off and put something else on. Um, and so I <laughs> a fun story. Uh, there there was a cache. Um, uh, nearby that was at the top of a lamppost in a parking lot and mm. uh, it had been visited a few times there there's a few videos in uh, on YouTube that uh, are highlighting this particular cache and I put a series out for the great drone tragedy but um, mm -hmm. the, <laughs> a number of people have uh, strategized extremely long poles having fully extended two or three fully extended, uh, uh, grabber tools, very, very long tools like uh, painter's poles and whatnot. Yeah. And to the point that the strength of the pole was much less than intended. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're, they're strapped together, taped, somehow held so they don't slide. And yeah. uh, when, when we went down there the last time to try to retrieve the drone, uh, it definitely had a little bit of a bend to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we had extra poles to... Uh, to strengthen the the main pole on its bend to keep it as straight as possible, but then you're also dealing with physics and the the uh, exponential swing of the yeah. light end at the top and trying to control that. You know, right. you if you're at the base and you're holding it and you move it uh, a couple inches one direction, inches. Yeah. it'll it'll take thirty seconds for that move to reach the top, and by then it's just bending. It's it's just oh yeah, it's it's fun when you get creative. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine the oscillation uh, of just a small movement at one point. 
<laughs> but that's that's you some know, of the fun that you can have with with things like tools. Like you were saying at the beginning, is combining tools to be creative mm-hmm. and and uh, accomplish or or um, solve problems that you may not be able to do if you don't have the right tools. Yeah, I think that's one of the things. If you went caching with Sandy and I, or just even on a trip, um, where she sees that light in my eyes, I'm like, ah, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and it's oftentimes, Jeff, a, a combination of gear that I have, but it's not, you know, it's not used specifically for that reason. Um, let me give you a quick example. We went on, we went to uh, Florida at one of the amusement parks, and at the end of the day, the heavens opened up. It started raining so heavy that, you know, people sh- should have been building arcs. <laughs> but... Um, we got home and we were like drenched to the bone, it, but we, there were certain things that we like shoes and some other things we wanted to use in a, in a day or so. And so that's a perfect example. What am I going to do? And mm. so I carry around paracord as mm. well as some of this, some of these tools that allow me to cinch up. And I basically created a, a clothesline inside the hotel room and it worked. Right. Mm. But you look around the hotel room and like where, I mean, you, you can't, you can drape it over chairs and things, but it's that kind of, oh, how am I going to use? The other one was that we were on a plane flying there and then back. And um, we, nowadays they don't have a whole lot of movies on the planes that we were at. So you have to use your own phone mm-hmm. and then you, you, you hop onto their Wi-Fi and you watch, you watch whatever right. movies they're streaming. Well, that means you're holding your phone and just trying to watch a movie the whole time. And of course, mm. I got that look in my eye. And I, I have this, these little um, wire twisty tie kind of things. And uh, I, I, I put together this gadget and it was hanging off of the back of the seat in front of me. And then sure enough, Sandy looks over and I'm watching this hands-free <laughs> phone hanging off of the back of the seat. And she's like, yeah, he's at it again. Mm. Um, but I love to do that stuff because it's like, aha, I figured out another way to use something. You know, another thing too is, um, it, it could be kept in your car and I, that would be a, a great thing is a walking stick, especially an mm. expandable telescopic one, because that is something I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have with me all the time. But at those times when you have just a walking stick and if it's, if it's telescopic, that might just give you that extra four, five, six feet mm-hmm. that you can use uh, as an extension pole. And if that's all it takes, you know, yep. and being not a very tall person myself that <laughs> I, I've, well, not only that, you can use those walking sticks to kind of poke around in a dark log if you're yep. not exactly sure what's at the you, end of that thing. You can text, test to see how deep the mud is if you have to go yeah, near, right. near water's edge or under a culvert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a perfect example of a tool that's multiple use mm-hmm. and uh, highly effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, we've barely scratched the surface of the kind of tools that uh, that you can carry around, whether they're rare or very common. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things about being a geocacher is just discovering new ways to use things and uh, as a cache owner, trying to be creative and, and how can we make use of something to be fun? And is it something that... Um, that somebody who comes to find the cash would have with them already, or should we leave it with the cash? All, all those kind of questions uh, kind of provide um, a great backdrop for fun geocaching and adventures and experiences. And, you know, whether it's a park and grab or 
day trips and camping trips and, and whatnot. It's like, it's just, it, it adds so much to the cash experience, the caching experience. Yeah, for um, sure. And so I, <laughs> I have to add as well, like the one other tool that I uh, cannot live without for road trips and, and caching, uh, day caching and whatnot, podcasts. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> I yeah. like that's about the only time that I can actually sit down and listen to podcasts mm-hmm. through and through and not have to worry about doing other things at the same time. It's just you're on the road and you can play and you can listen. And so get those podcasts queued up, pre-downloaded so you don't have to stream them, get them already on your phone offline. And then uh, it's just, it's wonderful tool to have to pass the time. And there are so many great podcasts out there like Podcaster. <laughs> like Podcaster. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like I said, there's so many things we can go through and that we haven't talked about, that we haven't mentioned. So maybe those could be on for another show. But uh, I want to thank you, Sonny, for coming on and sharing your passion for EDC gear. <laughs> um, and uh, there will be a whole bunch of links and whatnot in the, in the episode notes, so you can check those out, lots of information. Um, and uh, by all means... Please check out Podcaster if you haven't already. I mean, who hasn't? Who doesn't know about Podcaster yet? The longest-running geocaching podcast, right? How long have you been going now? Oh, gosh. We started in 2005. 2005. So we've been running. Yeah, we are the longest-running podcast um, and, and and still no no end in sight. We're, uh, <laughs> we, I mean, it's a wonderful hobby. We've got a lot to talk about and, mm. you know, interesting people all around the world and lots and lots of topics. So, yep. yeah, go check us out. It's an ever-changing, ever-evolving hobby. So Mm -hmm. once again, thank you for joining me. And uh, uh, thanks for all the insight that you've got for EDC. I mean, everybody's got different input, different tools, uh, different favorites, and different recommendations. So it's always great to hear uh, hear more, uh, hear hear a variety. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Great to, like like I said, commiserate, (laughs) if you will, (laughs) on uh, on this wonderful sport that we love. And uh, yeah, great to chat with you today. If you have any adventures you'd like to share on the show, I'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments, funny stories, milestones, accomplishments, rants, or adventures to share, please email tgif at cashtheline.net or phone one in by calling to leave a message at www.cashtheline.net slash POI. Any links and references mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes linked in the description. Thanks for listening, and please remember to give the show a thumbs up or a positive review. If you'd like to join the band of excellent adventurers who help support Cash the Line, please find us on Patreon or by visiting cashtheline.net slash Patreon. You too can support for as little as a cup of coffee per month or with a discount by the year and get bonus swag and access to exclusive content. See you next month with more exploration into the wide world of excellent geocaching adventures. Please subscribe, follow, share with your friends, and comment wherever you're able. And as always, happy caching and excellent adventure. Thank you.